Good morning, glad you're here. If you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Daniel chapter 5, the handwriting is on the wall, and some people just don't see it. We're going to read verses 1 through 12, but we will cover the entire chapter today, so get ready. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring gold, silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and the concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of silver, gold, silver, bronze, and iron, wood, and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him. So the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud and to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, and they could not read the writing or make known the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy God, in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father's the, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, and interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. This is the word of God. Please be seated. The handwriting is on the wall, and some people just don't see it. Folks, that's the word for our day today. The handwriting is on the wall, and most people just don't see it. The theme of Daniel is this. God is sovereign over nations. God is sovereign over rulers. And guess what? God is sovereign over you. Our God is in control. Our God reigns. That's what sovereignty is. Last week, we, have, we finished our time with Nebuchadnezzar. And if you remember in chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar is introduced to, introduced to the God of Israel, the true God, through four people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were head and shoulders above all the astrologers, all the Chaldeans, all the brainiacs of, of Babylon. They served the Most High God. He was introduced there, but in chapter 2, he's also introduced to the God of Israel by a dream that he had. It was a statue, and it was the kingdoms of this world. Remember Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. And they happened just as Daniel said that it would happen in the dream, that we know that prophecy is true. We also know that there's a one-world government coming. We also know from Daniel there's going to be a ten-nation confederation that will be raised up. We know that prophecy is true. And we also know that the stone in chapter 2, verse 45, is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he comes and he crushes all the kingdoms of the world, and they become like chafe. And our God will reign. Our God will reign. He, it will be a never everlasting kingdom. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. No more earthly kings, no more earthly kingdoms. 
No more tragedy after tragedies. When Jesus sets up his kingdoms, folks, that's going to be a perfect kingdom. That'll be a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, full of himself, makes an idol and insists when, you play, when the music is played that everyone bow before the idol. And again, they are re, he is reintroduced to the God of heaven, the true God, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not bow. And Nebuchadnezzar gave him a chance and says, oh, I'm going to throw you into this fire. It's going to be heated up, and you're going to be in this fire. And they had some of the greatest words that we see in Scripture. Listen to this. In chapter 3, verse 18, but Nebuchadnezzar is challenging. They're giving their answer, O king, we're not going to bow, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. If you throw us into the fire, our God can save us, but if not, we will go because we will not bow to these gods, and we will not bow to the gods of our culture. That was what the whole teaching was about. And in chapter 4, last time we got together, we called Nebuchadnezzar had a, another dream. And that dream was about a watcher. And a watcher was an angel. And it was a terrifying dream for him because his, the, he was a picture of a tree, and the tree was going to be chopped down. And then he would be grazing for seven times or seven seasons or seven years. We decided it was that length of time. And he went from the palace to the pasture, and it was in an instant that God changed his life. He says, oh, no, Nebuchadnezzar, your pride has taken you to this point. He gave him a year to repent. After one year, he's walking out his palace, and he says all these great things about the Babylon that I have, that I have built. Look what I have done. And then God says, that's enough. And he went in, and he started grazing. What we have learned is that God is a God of process. He has Nebuchadnezzar in a process of transformation. He's being transformed into knowing who the real God is. And as a result of being in the pasture, Nebuchadnezzar volitionally bows before the God of heaven and recognizes that he indeed is the true God. And that is what all humans have to do. At some point, volitionally, or you will be forced to bow before God. Because we know in Philippians chapter Chapter 2, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow. Hey, we're doing a bow willingly. He is our King, He is our Lord, He is our God, and we love Him and volitionally, willingly bow before Him. This week, Babylon's succeeding kings, are you going to end up with Belshazzar as the last one, continues to ignore the God of heaven and serve the false gods. And remember, we learned something. The flesh is slow to change. It takes a lot of pain to redirect the flesh ship. You know, your flesh wants to go in its direction, and it takes a lot of discomfort for that to change course. And that's what's going to happen to Belshazzar this week. Belshazzar comes to, to an end of himself. Although he knew about Nebuchadnezzar, although he knew about what happened, this is not secret what happened in that kingdom with Nebuchadnezzar and, and grazing and that sort of thing. He ignored the God of heaven. And everything's going to happen just like God prophesies. It's going to, that kingdom is going to go from Babylon. Persia is right on the perch. Persia is waiting, waiting to take over. Belshazzar is going to be the king that facilitates that transition. This week, the writing is on the wall, and some people just don't see it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, teach us truths today that we need to hear. Each one of us comes from a different place. 
Each one of us has a different background. Each one of us has a need to hear something specific from you. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today individually truths that you want us to hear and what we hear and what you impress upon us. Help us to put into action. In Jesus' name, amen. So just as by way of introduction, when we say the writing is on the wall, it means this. It means that there are clear signs that a situation is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Worse and worse, from dif difficult and unpleasant. Look, at the handwriting is on the wall in anyone's life if you go out and have an affair. The handwriting is on the wall. Things are going to get tough for you. Things are going to get difficult for you. If you rebel against God, if you turn from God, if you get a divorce, if you em embrace false religions, if you celebrate things like Planned Parenthood and abortion, the handwriting is on the wall. It's going to be uncomfortable for you. Now, where are we in Daniel's life? Went into captivity, roughly age 15. But we are in chapter 5. He is in his early 80s right now. And he is at the end, approaching the end of his life. And when you approach the end of your life, you're not messing around with people. And you're going to see in this teaching that he's not going to mess around with Belshazzar. He's going to be straight up with Belshazzar, just like he was with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, just a little history. Just a little history. When you think about the kings of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest earthly king that, from a human standpoint. From him, he died after about 43 years. After he died, his son, the evil Merodach, took over. Now, that kind of tells you who he's, what he's like. The evil guy, I mean, evil. He, he's a bad son. And so he was, he was so bad, he was assassinated by his brother-in-law, his brother-in-law, Nagralasser. His brother-in-law kills him, and he reigns for four years. Then he dies. doesn't say how he died, but he died. Then he, this guy comes to power, Labrosorakad. You say it the way you want to say it, but anyway, that's his son. Now, this guy is so depraved, he's beaten to death by his friends. How do you like that? He reigns for nine months, and even his friends can't stand him at that point, and they beat him to death. And the Nabonius, by he comes to reign, and by common consent, he takes over. Now, Nabonius, you want to remember this. This is kind of important. The other guys you can forget before that. But Nabonius is the real king of Babylon at this time. He does not want to live in Babylon. For 14 to 17 years, he kind of drifts around to different places. He likes to travel. But he needs a representative in Babylon, so, his, so he has Belshazzar, his son, as a co-ruler in Babylon. That is why when we see in the text, the one that reads the, the image or the writing on the wall will be third in the kingdom. Why third? Because Nabonius is first, Belshazzar is second, and whoever reads the thing will be third. That is why that takes place. So... Now, there's another thing that I think is important to know here. Belshazzar was not found in any archaeological discoveries before the 1900s, and people would impugn the book of Daniel because they didn't believe that Belshazzar existed. However, in the 1900s, they started discovering multiple evidence of Belshazzar, and it became, so that argument kind of, kind of fell out of the background. But just remember, there's always people that will try to impugn the scriptures, to try to get you tripped up into thinking this isn't true. This is the true word of God. We can base our, thank you, that's a great time for an amen. I'll amen it myself. Amen, that's right. Okay. 
This is the true word of God. Uh, so now with this background, the political intrigue of all this killing and that sort of thing in the background, let's go into our teaching for today. So verses 1 through 4. The writing, on the, wall, the writing is on the wall when you place your trust in false gods or false idols or anything else but the living God. The writing's on the wall for your life. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. That's a big party. And drank wine in the presence of the thousand. He's getting, he's getting looped. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold, the silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And this is arrogance. Taking the temple utensils. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which he had taken in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords and his wives and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine, praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And you wonder what in the world is going on at the, in the land at this time with Belshazzar. Well, let me give you this little background. It's been 20 years or so since anyone's heard from Daniel. He's been in the background. He's been the forgotten Daniel. He's going to be remembered here very soon. So why is this big party going on? Well, Cyrus is in the process of attacking Babylon. And he can't take him from a front attack. And Belshazzar, full of himself because of the fortifications of Babylon, throws a party for all of his lords. They can't get us. There's 20 years of food supply in Babylon. I'll tell you a little bit more specifically later on about the, the defenses in Babylon. But they had a water, they had food, and he thought that he was safe. So he throws this big party, thousands of lords. He's celebrating. Oh, yeah, things are going to change for Belshazzar very soon. Very soon. He said, this is the epitome of denial. Now, humans have a very strong propensity, a tendency for denial. I'm not here. It's not hurting. God doesn't really mean what he says. You know, we, we get into a lot of denial in order to, to, to move on. This is a false security that he has. Everything's going to be okay. It's like he's like a pacifier, like a little kid with a pacifier in his mouth. I'm okay. Everything's going to be great and wonderful, even though Cyrus is knocking on the door. Now listen, when he sent for the vessels of the temple, this was the final insult. This was Belshazzar's last straw. Literally, he drank wine from the, from the temple vessels, and he worshipped the false gods. We see that in verse 4. This is the last straw. Never forget something. There is a principle in life that we must never, ever, ever forget. It, it, it is found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 9. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he shall also reap. If he sows to a sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. If he throw, sows to a spirit, will reap eternal life. Remember, you sow, you, you sow and reap later and greater than what you sow. But it will always, always come. Belshazzar, this is your day. The lesson is this. Folks, when the handwriting is on the wall in your life, Belshazzar's life, repent, not party. Repent, not party. Babylon is ready to fall, and they don't even know it. They are oblivious to what's going on. Now, how often do we ignore God in our lives? 
when the handwriting is on the wall, how often do we do this? How often do we feel secure in our home? I have a, I have a good car. I have a bank account. I've got treasures. Some people even go to the extreme in the culture that we're living in with all the dangers of the world, and particularly in the 60s this became popular with nuclear weapons. What did they build? Bomb shelters. Oh, I'm going to be secure in my bomb shelter. Uh-huh. Some people buy guns. Some people buy bazookas. You know, anything to protect yourself and think we're secure. Look at human security is an illusion. Our security is found in the centrality of us being in relationship with God through Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. You have an appointment with God. You will die one day. Everybody gets an A on that test. That's 100%. You will not flunk that test. You will die, and you are secure in him. And even when you do pass, you are still secure in him because he's going to go right into the presence of God. Belshazzar was blinded by false security, and he was partying, and then God breaks in. And notice that he breaks in, not with a dream, not with a vision. He does something only one time God does in Scripture, and he writes on the wall. And we're going to see what that writing is. It's, wake up, Belshazzar, wake up. And I would say today that God is speaking to us, wake up, whoever you are. Wake up, America. Wake up church in America. That is what I think God is saying to us today. God's judgment has arrived. Wake up church. In verse 5 through 9, from party to panic. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall at the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now that would put you into a little bit of a panic attack. That's some strange stuff. You know, you get a lot of this stuff on the Internet where someone sees a ghost, and they've recorded it. And you see a little blip of some cloudy nothing, and everybody's in a panic about that. Well, this is a guy's hand on the wall writing what's going to happen to his kingdom. Then the king's countenance changed, you bet, and his thoughts troubled him so the joints of his hips were loosed, loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud, to bring the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. These are his top guys. These are the guys that always helped him in the past. Oh, not now. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came. And they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed. And his lords were astonished. God is going to get Belshazzar's attention, really in a strange way. God rocks Belshazzar's world. The fingers appear and they write. And the king's countenance changes. Now look at when you're at a party, everybody's got this, yay, wonderful, great. Watch the transition here. This is some strange stuff going on. The writing is on the wall, and everyone is aghast. This is, what does this mean? And by the way, this is written in Aramaic. These people speak Aramaic. The wise men of the day speak Aramaic, but they cannot interpret what is said. That is going to be interesting in just a moment. In just a moment. But notice the king's countenance changed. His knees knocked in terror, 
And it actually says the, gird, the, the girdle of his loins loosened or the joints of his hips loosened. And you know what that actually means? It's really kind of interesting what it means. It means he could not hold back his urine. He peed his pants right there in front of all these people. Now, that's just what it means. How quickly life can change from, a, from a, a arist, the aristocracy of the king, and I'm in charge, and I'm putting on this party. Do you pee in your pants because there's a, something written on the wall? Principle, when your knees knock, kneel. When your knees knock, kneel. Get down in prayer and say, God, I need you. The king's response was a wrong response. He panicked. He turned to the wrong people. You ever have that happen? Happens all the time. People, in a, to get an answer to something that's going on, turn to the wrong people. He cried aloud, and he calls the usual guys. And by the way, history has proven that every time God is breaking in, these guys can't help. Daniel could help, but not these guys. Belshazzar, in his ignorance, has forgotten Daniel. I don't need Daniel. Even says if you, whoever interprets this is going to be third in the kingdom. Belshazzar, in his arrogance and smugness, hear this, represents all the unsaved upon whom God's wrath will fall. Now, I left out a verse here. Yes, I did. I did. And I want to digress for just a moment because I think this is important when we're talking about the wrath of God. And it's Isaiah 13, 6 and 7. It says this. People will focus on the love of God and ignore the terror and the wrath of God. We hear this all the time today in our culture. You know, you talk about same-sex marriage, and it's God's love. It's God's love. He just wants us to be together and to be happy. And they forget the wrath of God, and they forget the holiness of God. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. You talk about a countenance change when the wrath of God comes on this earth. People will be rocked. People will be rocked. Belshazzar represents all the unsaved upon whom God's wrath will eventually come. The lost of the world are literally a heartbeat away from terrible judgment and don't even know it. That's the tragedy of it. What are we at? We're in denial. The great human gift that causes destruction is denial. Is denial. Everything is okay. It won't happen to me. And sadly, this is the majority. This is the majority of humans. Something bad's coming to your house. I feel so bad for you. But I don't think it's coming to my house. Oh, really? One day it will. You know, Jesus said something very interesting when he's talking about the majority. Please notice this. Now, I just watched Pilgrim's Progress. They had it on the, on the Internet here recently, John Bunyan's book. And it talks about Pilgrim staying on the path, going towards the celestial city. And how many people start on the path and then get waylaid by one one distraction or another, and fall away from God. Oh, stay on the path, folks. This is just a side note, by the way. The thing I want to impress upon you is that the majority are going the wrong way. The majority are in denial of what God has said in his word. The majority are now. 
enter by the narrow gate. Look how narrow it is. It is narrow. It's just big enough. The gate is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is as wide as anything can be if you go through it. But he's the only way that you can get to a holy God. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go in by it. And narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Enter by the narrow gate. Stay on the path. Don't get distracted. Don't go into denial. What God has said in his word is true. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Verses 10. Th Sadly, this is the majority, folks. Verse 10 through 12. 911, send for the man of God. So when you're in the crisis, this, this happens. Send for the man of God. Verses 10 through 12. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. Now she hears all the commotion. This guy's yelling so loud, it breaks into the queen's chamber. The queen spoke saying, oh, and by the way, this is, she may be the queen, but she's probably the grandma of Belshazzar. She's probably the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. That's what most people think. She breaks in, O oh, king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. Why? Because there's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God, and in the days of your father, you should have known this, Belshazzar. You remember this. Everyone knew about this. And in the days of your father, light and understanding, wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father or your ancestor, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles. That's a key point here. Solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give an answer to the interpretation. 911, the queen, the queen remembers the forgotten Daniel. There's always people that are going to remember. Call the man of God. Call the woman of God. Call the person related to God. Get the one that is close to God. I need that person now. 911. The commotion is so great it reaches the, the, the queen's chamber, and she remembers what everyone else forgot, the forgotten Daniel. And Daniel has this to the rescue. The spirit of the holy God is on him. Understanding of wisdom. He's the chief of the magicians. He interprets dreams and riddles and enigmas. Let Daniel be called. Folks, when the writing is on the wall, when something happens in your life, bad news comes, something disastrous comes, the following things think about. Number one, do not, do not run in a panic like a lost hunter in the woods. Just running around, some people throw their clothes off, throw their gun down, just start running in circles in a panic. Don't do that. And then do not run to the world and seek man's wisdom like Belshazzar did. Do not do that. But do the following. Do turn to God. Do seek wisdom from the people of God that are really connected with God. Now, there's not a whole lot of those today, by the way. So be discerning who you're getting your help from. Do seek praying people. Do seek faith-filled people who believe in the impossible. Do seek those who are dwelling in Jesus Christ. Remember, men know, making your home in. Their life is immersed in the Lord Jesus. Do seek those who, who are connected to the fountain of living water. Remember Jeremiah chapter 2. We talked about that last time. 
do send for the man of God. When there's a 911 moment, turn to God, get counsel from the people of God. That is the message for us today. Belshazzar did not do that. The queen had enough sense to do that. Verse 13 and 16, the king meets the forgotten Daniel. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. Now again, 20 years he's been on the sidelines. 20 years, nothing to do with the kingdom. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. When did he hear this? From his mom. Or from the grandma. That was just a few minutes ago. I've heard of you. Like, he's, he's all arrogant. I, I know you. Really, you were just introduced. You just remembered him. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But, oh, they could not give the interpretation of the thing. Notice he calls it the thing. He can't even describe it. And I have heard of you that you give interpretations and explain enigmas or your untie knots. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around your neck, and oh, it's so wonderful, and shall be third in the kingdom. Now, that sounds great to Belshazzar. It means nothing you're going to see in the next few verses to Daniel. So, verse 13, he says this, Are you that Daniel? Now, there might be some sarcasm there. I have heard of you, really. I have heard of you. Why did Belshazzar not think of Daniel? Why, just put in, why didn't he think of him right off the bat? Something strange is happening here. At other times in the kingdom's history, we sent for Daniel. Why, why didn't he think of him? I'll remember this. It's been 20 years that Daniel has been ignored. Belshazzar did not need God all, those, all of his life, did not need God, didn't need Daniel, thought, I'm doing great and wonderful right on my own. It's the arrogance of man. And he, he had this attitude, I can run my life. No one can tell me how to run my I can run my life. And then he hits the wall, or literally the writing's on the wall, and he needs God. You, it's not your life. You cannot do what you want and think you're going to get away with it. You want gloom and despair? Go down that path. Folks, look at this. When the, when the good times roll, people ignore God. People forget God. People have an attitude of, don't bother me with this God stuff. Yeah, you ever have that happen? I really don't. Don't bother me with this God stuff. What does it take to open the eyes of most people? A crisis. A crisis. Usually there's something that happens that God is pulling you to him. That's a rescue line. Now remember, God comes to us as gently as he can. But if he has to, he will put a crisis in your life to get your attention, to open your eyes to who he really is. That's the most important thing. But this is passing. This is all temporary. Everything that we see around us, and everything that we put our roots in and that sort of thing, this is passing. So it's most important, no matter what, that God gets our attention and that we turn to him. That is the most important thing that can happen in our lives, a crisis. Belshazzar had a crisis. Belshazzar is calling for the man of God. Verse 17 through 24. Now, this is interesting. If you checked out at this point, please check back in. This will be, this will be something that might be of interest to you. 
Then Daniel answered and said before the king, I love this, let your gifts be for yourself, give your rewards to another, yet I will read the writing. I could care less about what you have to give to me, Belshazzar. He's almost insolent. And I will make known to him their interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom. God gave it. And majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. He had supreme power. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whoever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up with pride, and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. That's the watchers. That's the angels. That's going into the field to graze like an animal. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. See, God will cause the crisis you need to wake you up. Some people end up grazing. That's, the, that's about as far as you can get before dying. He gets your attention. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son Belshazzar, look at this, right between the eyes, 80 years old, holds nothing back, you have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. He makes him accountable. He says, you knew this. Everyone in this kingdom knows about Nebuchadnezzar. You can't cop out and say you didn't know. Just like people can't cop out today and say, I don't know anything about Jesus. I don't care about his word. Look, if you live in America, you have some information that most of the world doesn't have because they don't have anything. You, we do. And with information comes accountability. More on that in just a second. And you lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. So many people just get waylaid into things that are absolutely useless. And God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Let that ring in Belshazzar's ear. Think about this. The forgotten Daniel responds. Note, at age 80, he will have nothing to do with the king's flattery. Have nothing to do, folks, with the world's flattery. Have nothing to do with that. All the stuff of the world means nothing to, nothing to Daniel. Keep your gifts. Keep your rewards. Give your words to somebody else. Daniel responds and tells him the truth, and he gives him the, some history. Gives him some history. Watch this. Think about this. He's been set aside for 20 or more years. Some people say 20 to 30 years. Set aside. But watch. Daniel sees the opportunity to witness. He sees the moment. After 20 to 30 years of no input, Input, Daniel is ready. What does it say in 1 Peter 3.15? Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. At least that's the NIV. And New King James says meekness and fear. Gentleness and respect. We approach people, but we tell them the truth about who our Lord is. Be ready. Daniel didn't have a clue he's going to be called up that day. 
We don't know when we're going to be called up. Be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. We never come at them with guns blazing. You know, get right or get left. We tell them about the love of God. We tell them about what he did for us on the cross. We tell them there's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. We tell them that sin will separate you from a holy God. And that a repentant heart and a heart that believes that Jesus died on the cross for your sins will gain you access into heaven and get, get, get you into communion with the holy God. It's the only way. It's the only way. It's through, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Daniel gave the king a history lesson about the greatest Babylonian king that ever lived and how this Babylonian king came to know the true God by grazing in the field. The message is very clear for Belshazzar. This happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You should have known about it. You should have known about it. But you, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. But you, Belshazzar, did not repent. You, Belshazzar, knew, but you did. See, people live in denial. That's for somebody else. That's not for me. See, everything's going good in my life. I don't need to repent until something changes. Lesson number one, with knowledge comes responsibility, folks. Do not spurn the light that God gives you. It's a treasure when he opens your eyes. Do not spurn it. Don't ignore God. Hebrews chapter 10 has an interesting thing to say. Now, remember, the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews to teach the Hebrews not to be Hebrews. That's right. Okay. It says in 1026, For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, Belshazzar had a knowledge of the truth. If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And in verse 29, it has these words. Please hear this. Uh, of, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy of those who have trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was saved a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. See, the Holy Spirit comes to you, opens your eyes, says, turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus. And people go, no, I don't need him now. Things are going too good for me right now. I don't need Jesus. And that's what he says. Turn to, How much worse punishment do you suppose? That's a big warning in the book of Hebrews. A big warning. Scary warning. Do not spurn the light that God gives you. Lesson number two, human hubris. That's arrogance, pride predisposes the person to overestimating themselves and underestimating God. It's an interesting point. Belshazzar, you lifted, in verse 23, you lifted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And that's always an uh-oh. Okay, that's an uh-oh. You disdained the holy things. You brought the holy vessels from the temple and you drank wine from them. That's an uh-oh. You praised the gods of silver and gold who are useless, and we know that Isaiah says how useless they are. We've been to those verses many times. An amazing characteristic of humanity is this. Humans are worshipers of something. All humans will worship something, even if it is themselves, even if it is the creation. Remember in Romans chapter 1 that Paul was speaking, 
And he talks about the condemnation that the world has because the heavens declare the glory of God. The creation shows that God is God in existence. But what do humans do? For since the creation of his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse because all humanity knows this just can't happen. I don't care what you learn in college biology. It does, evolution is false. This did not just evolve. God created the heavens and the earth. So they are without excuse. But what do people do? Professing to be wise, they become fools, and they change the glory of the incorruptible God. See, people will worship something. What do they worship? Into an image like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And it says, God gave them over. If you persist and keep fighting God, there is a time when God says, okay, you can have your way. And that is the worst news that a human can get. Now, bear in mind that God is long-suffering. If you've reached that point, you have outdone the patience of God, which is amazing. Amazing. And that's what people are doing today in this culture. They're, they're thumbing their nose at God and saying, I will worship the planet. I'll save the planet. We'll save the owls. We'll save the whales. How about the environment? We'll do everything for climate change and that sort of thing. But we'll ignore the living God. We won't, we'll worship the creation rather than the creator. So. These are all written, folks, what we are hearing today, that all may know that our omnipotent God reigns. He reigns. Verse 23, the God who holds your breath, hear this, the God who holds your breath in his hand owns all of your ways. You have not glorified Belshazzar. What a war, what a, this is an amazing thing. Belshazzar, do not overestimate yourselves because you are a pipsqueak compared to God. You are nothing. You are dust. Job 33.4 says this, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The instant God says, no more breath, there's no more breath. God holds your life in his hands. Daniel had a great response, a great apologia from the forgotten Daniel. Verse 25 through 30, the handwriting is on the wall, folks, and some people don't see it. Now think about this. Again, it's written in Aramaic. These guys, that's their language, and they can't read what is written. 25 through 30. And this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upsaron. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Now, you're reading what Daniel has interpreted. This is not what they saw. Watch this. Tekel, you have weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command that they clothed Daniel with purple, put a chain of gold around his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. Why didn't Belshazzar panic at that point? More on that in just a second. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now think about this. Again, it's written in Aramaic. 
Mene, mene, tekel, yupseren. And then the hand is writing at it. it. That means counted or numbered. Counted or numbered twice. Weighed, tekel. Oopsers, your kingdom will be divided. Written in Aramaic. Why the problem for the super knowledgeable, the Babylonian king? Why could they not interpret this? And I've always wondered that. Have you wondered that? Maybe you haven't read this, but this guy helped me with this. This guy's name is Stephen Armstrong, and he has a ministry called Verse by Verse Ministry. Great website if you ever want to go to it. Very helpful for understanding the scriptures. He says this, first, the Aramaic meaning of the words are various weights or measures of value. Mene means the same thing as mina in Hebrew. Tekel comes from the same root word as the Hebrew shekel. And yupsaren means half a shekel, and mina was worth 50 shekels, so the phrase was similar to saying this, dollar, dollar, nickel, penny. Now you interpret that. What does that all mean to me, okay? Can you see why the magicians didn't have a clue what was going on, nor Belshazzar? But listen to this. This is what they, they saw. So they saw mina, mina, shekel, half shekel. Again, they're stumped. They're, that's a riddle, an enigma. And Daniel sees it this way. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. That how, that's how Daniel interprets it. Now, it's interesting that Belshazzar is terrified at the handwriting on the wall, the appearance of the writing. But when he hears the interpretation in his arrogance, he's not moved. Maybe he's looking at Daniel as being an 80-year-old 80, 80 babbler. He's just babbling. Or maybe he's thinking something different. Maybe his confidence is in, this can't happen to me because my fortifications are too strong. I'm too prepared. This can't happen to me. Just the same thing with every human. This can't happen to me. I'm too prepared. Listen, the wall around, wall around Babylon was 60 miles. It was 150 feet high. It was 87 feet thick. Four chariots could ride abreast on top of the wall. And it had a 30-foot moat. The city was impregnable. Cyrus knew it. He went at it. He went at it. He could do nothing with it. It had a 20-year supply of food. Now, the Babylonians were in their smugness, thinking they're safe, had this party, all their lords, all their uppity-uppities in that city. But guess what Cyrus was doing? He was diverting the Euphrates River into another canal. And the canal that fed Babylon was diverted and dried up. And that night, unopposed, during the party, this is, this is Babylonian history, during the party, they come into the river, into the palace, and take over. And that night was the end of Belshazzar's life. And he, re he rewarded Daniel that night, and he went to bed feeling secure and safe. How many people do that? How many people think it's, I'm secure, I'm safe, I've got my job, i got my this? Folks, life can change on a dime. It can change in a second. He had a wall, he had supplies, he had water. Nothing could touch him. This, what Daniel is saying isn't for me, it's for somebody else. Somebody else. Somebody else. That night Belshazzar was slain. That night his soul was required of him.
It's the same for all of us. There will be a night when our soul will be required of us. Folks, the handwriting is on the wall, and some people just don't see it. Let's take it home here. Conclusion. The handwriting is on the wall, and some people don't see it. For Belshazzar, the message was clear. Daniel interpreted it. Many, God has numbered your kingdom. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And for us, folks, today the message is clear. The handwriting is on the wall for each one of our lives. The reason that we know it is the Bible tells us. We have a specific number of days. We have a specific time to either receive Christ or reject Christ. This is our time. We also have Bible prophecy telling us exactly what's going to happen. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Remember, we're in the Roman time period. The two legs, east and west divisions, they exist today. There's an east, east block of nations. There's a west block of nations. We are looking forward very soon. Well, I'm not looking forward to it because I'm hoping to be out of here. But a one-world government which will then not work and turn into a ten-nation confederation. How do we know this is going to happen? Because God said so. Everything that he said up to this point has been true, and it continues to be true. God holds his people responsible to know what is coming. Remember in Luke chapter 19, because they did not recognize Messiah, that Jerusalem would be destroyed, and it was in 70 A.D., and that one stone would be left. The whole city is going to be destroyed, the temple included. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus held them responsible for knowing what the prophets taught. He holds us today responsible for what the prophets have taught us, what the Word of God has said, what the apostles have taught us. There is no excuse before a holy God. He holds us responsible. The handwriting is on the wall. The handwriting is on the wall. Fallen human governments, days are numbered and found wanting. The people of the world have to own this. Let me explain something to you. We live in a republic, a democratic republic. We have the right to vote for our king, so to speak. Okay? Now hear this. There's a principle here. God will give the people the king they desire. Hear the word of the Lord, speaking through Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 through 15, on this issue. Now, therefore, here is a king. Remember, they wanted a king, just like all the other nations. God was their king. They didn't want him as king. They wanted a physical human as a king. So they get pretty Saul, seven foot tall, handsome, looks like a king. He's a great king. He looks terrific. He looks wonderful. This king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired, and take note, the Lord has set a king over you. Now watch what he says to the people. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice, people, if you do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. Did you hear that? If the people are true to God, the king will be true to God. America, if the people who vote for are true to God, he will give you a king that is true to God. That is the principle. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, 
then the hand of the Lord will be against you. You will be cursed as it was against your fathers. America, church in America, please open your eyes, open your ears. Hear what God is saying to us. Ray Pritchard has this to say, quote, Great nations come and go. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. In the last hundred years, the communist empire, the Third Reich of Hitler, have both come and gone, all thinking that they were going to be the rulers. The tendency of every great nation is the same, to begin to believe that they will always be a superpower. You think America has that attitude? Just think about it to slowly push God out of the picture, to take him out of public life. It happens all the time. Every one of these kingdoms. To forbid the mention of his name, to ridicule those who still believe in him, to promote those who exalt man and downplay God, to chafe. To chafe at the absolutes. To rewrite the rule book. There's a whole rewriting of the way that people look at the Word of God, twisting, Scripture twisting and turning to justify ungodly lifestyles. It's happening right before our eyes. And the church in America, almost universally, is buying into it hook, line, and sinker. And they live by their own set of rules. Over time, we, have take, we take God for granted. Tune to our, turn to our own idols of technology or whatever and begin to worship the things we make with our own hands. We worship ourselves. In the end, God judges the nation, and sometimes he will raise up another nation to do it. He does it all the time. Folks, hear this. God's word to the seven churches in Revelation, which, Lord willing, will be there sometime this fall. To the seven churches in Revelation, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know what the church is? The people. It's the ecclesia. It's the called out ones. Hear what the Spirit says to you. Heed what the Spirit says. The handwriting is on the wall, and some people just don't see it. Folks, we're living in a world that has made the gate wide. All world religions, any path that you want, everybody gets to go to heaven. There is no hell. We are living in a culture that has given itself over to idols and to the false gods of this world. Stay on the path. Don't divert to the right or to the left. There's voices screaming for you to do that. The voices are belittling you because you're staying on the path. Stay on the path. Enter by the narrow gate. The handwriting is on the wall, and some people just don't see it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. We thank you that this is the word of God. We base our life on it. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. This word is, is, is what we live our lives by. But, Lord, this word, we don't worship the word. We worship the one who gave us the word, our God. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ who came to die for us. So, Father, today, if there's anyone here that does not know you as their Savior, I pray today will be the day they say, enough. I see what's going on around me. I see where my life is. 
I see that it is just one big mess, and I want to be on the narrow path. I don't want to go to the right or to the left. And if I do go to the right or the left, the Spirit of God, oh, I want to hear you, Holy Spirit. This is the way. Walk in it. Let us go towards the light of the Lord Jesus. As John Bunyan calls it, the celestial city. Let's stay on the path to the celestial city. Oh, Lord, may we be true to you and your word in this culture that is drawing so many away. May we stand for the truth. Lord, we ask you for the rod of iron up our spine, the Holy Spirit, to allow us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.